this is Matt. I'm the lead pastor at Westminster Baptist Church. Thanks for engaging God's word with us. My prayer for you is that this would be supplemental to your discipleship journey. Uh, if we can connect you with a local church or a discipleship group, uh, please contact us at info at discoverwbc.com. Amen. Well, again, we're going to be in James chapter 5, verses 19 through 20. You will turn your Bibles, and I hope that you walk away knowing that we need one another to stay strong. I want to give you a quick summary of James chapter 5. Well, actually, the whole book of James, leading into James chapter 5, as we begin this morning. And and it really starts with this, that faith endures. In James chapter 1, verse 2, it says, Consider it pure joy when you face trials of many kinds, because the testing of your faith develops endurance or perseverance. Faith endures. It goes through suffering. It goes through difficulties. It goes through seasons of trials and temptation. But through it all, faith endures. Next, it leads into really at the end of chapter 1 and chapter 2, it looks like an enduring faith. What, and the question is, what does enduring faith look like? And it, and it results in works or fruits or whatever that, that come from faith. Faith produces, it endures into fruit and works that show that we are part of God's kingdom. We are part of uh, this thing that we call the church. We look like, we act like, we talk like, we are like God's people because we are chosen. We are the sons and daughters of God. So faith endures and enduring faith works. Those works look like care for the orphans, for the widows, the refugees, and the least of these at the end of James chapter 1 and the beginning of James chapter 2. We are a people who are not uh, divided, but we are united. And so enduring faith works to conquer discrimination, to conquer division, and to conquer destruction. Over the next three chapters, we see that there is neither rich nor poor, nor Jew nor Gentile. There's no division because we are united in Christ Jesus. So faith, enduring faith will conquer division. It will conquer discrimination, and it will conquer destruction. The division is when what you say is not what you do. You see, enduring faith, you say, it's let your yes be yes and your no be no. Enduring faith says, I believe in Christ, and when you face a trial, you don't uh, sway one way or the other. What you promise is what you do. It's an enduring faith. Enduring faith conquers discrimination, division, and destruction. Destruction looks like when it says in Scripture in James chapter 4 and 5, when the rich people are uh, taking advantage of the poor people, and they are literally, there's wars and murder within the church. And it's because of the division and and, uh, uh, discrimination that there are wars in the church. And so James says, let there be no war, let there be no killing, let there be no uh, taking advantage of the poor inside the church, but instead let us be merciful to each other. And he says, uh, so eloquently, he says, mercy triumphs over judgment. Inside this place, mercy triumphs over judgment. There is not discrimination, division, and destruction. There's mercy. So James, writing this letter, is challenging us to have an enduring faith, and he comes back to it at the end. He says, when we've conquered all discrimination, division, and destruction, he comes back at the end, and he says, okay, now how are we going to do this? We're going to fight, not against one another, but for one another. It's not division and destruction. It's fighting for one another against the battles that we face. And so he says, fight with waiting, fight with praying, and, pray, and fight with accountability. We wait, we're patient on the Lord because he is the one who who brings salvation and vengeance. He is the one who in his hands can conquer all things and we can't, so we give it to the Lord. 
and we're patient and waiting for him to come back because he is what, what James says in James chapter one is the crown of life. But he's also the one who comes back to conquer all evil. And so we patiently wait for him. That's how we fight. It's different than the world. Second, we fight with praying. This is different than the world. We are asking for a strength that is not our own. We aren't trying to do things ourselves. We are asking God to do things in us. And then finally, we fight with accountability. This is James chapter 5, verses 19 through 20, what we're going to look at today. We need one another. We fight battles together, not in isolation. We need one another. James chapter 5, verse 19 through 20. My brothers and sisters, if any among you strays from the truth and someone turns him back, let that person know that whoever turns a sinner from the error of his ways will save his soul from death and cover a multitude of sins. There's a, there's a couple of things in here I want to point out. First is in James chapter 5, verse 16, which Pastor Bill preached last week. Thank you, brother. Uh, he preached last week about prayer and praying for one another. It says in there in James chapter 5, verse 16, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another. Now, he brings that. We can't leave that in isolation. We need to bring that into cha chapter 5, verse 19 through 20. Confess your sins to one another and also once you've confessed, let's work together to turn back and to pursue after God. So it's a confession of where I'm headed and it's a turning back to where God has for me. It's both and. You can't have someone confess to you, confess their sins to one another and then leave them there and leave them in isolation. You gotta create a journey, create a path for them to go back and to pursue after God. So first thing we see here is that uh, it's confession that leads to accountability. We can't have one or the other. You can't say, I'm going to be accountable to you, but I'm not going to confess to you what I'm struggling with. And you can't say, I'm going to confess to you, but I'm not, I don't want you to keep me accountable. It's got to be both. Here's who I am. Now walk with me and help me. Let's grow together. James chapter 5, verse 19 also says, it says, strays from the truth. Now, we saw this in chapter one where it said the word of truth. All throughout James, God is the one who gives good things. He gives wisdom and all good things comes from, come from God. He is the one who holds truth and gives truth. And because we have truth, we should not stray from the truth. And so in 519, when it says strays from the truth, it's talking about, this is really cool. It's, it's, it's not primarily dealing with just what you know, but what you do. James is a letter about doing. It's what you do. Now, the key here is what you believe dictates what you do. What you're passionate about, what's in your heart, what you love is what you do. I think about it like this. I know there's, mo there's many people in here that I could talk about, but I know there's... Uh, it's Particularly, Chris, I'll pick on you again, brother. Uh, he's in one of my D groups. I know him. I love him. He's passionate about football. He has been for a long time. That season of life is ending. You graduated yesterday. Congratulations from McDaniel University. So congratulations on that. McDaniel College, whatever it is. Uh, you graduated. Congratulations. Awesome stuff. But you've ended that season of life, that football season of life. That's tough. You have to end that life. But it's in your heart. Like you love it. You love football. You loved it for a long time. And you've battled through it and you fought through it and you stay consistent with it, but you fought, okay? Now, here's the thing. Chris has never, what do I do every Sunday night after D groups? I play basketball with some young adults, plus Steve, who's young as well. <laughs> I love you, brother. That dude can outrun any of us, and I love him. Um, but we play basketball every Sunday night, and you have never played basketball with me, have you? 
It's really frustrating. I don't understand why you don't want to play basketball with me. But he said if I ever played football, he'd play with me. Because deep in his heart, he loves football. He wants to play football. He doesn't want to play basketball, so he never plays basketball with me. I know that what he loves in his heart is what he does. And what you love in your heart is what you do. And what I'm telling you from James is this, is that what is in your heart is what you are going to do. If you have a heart of love and you want to love others, then you're going to love others. If you have a heart of hate, then you're going to hate others. And James wants us not to stray away from the truth, because when we do... When what we believe and what we love changes, when it shifts from what God has for us, then our actions change. And no longer are we having an enduring faith that works and produces fruit that is good. Now we have a lacking faith. We, we, uh, we pursue things other than the truth. And all of a sudden we start to lead to division, destruction, and discrimination. So James wants us to focus on the truth. And he says, particularly here in 19, verse 19, if any among you strays from the tr- truth and someone turns him back. So the goal is to help people understand, okay, your heart is being geared towards something else. We need to turn that back towards a pursuit of God and his people. You've got to know what they love and you've got to gear their heart to what God has for them. Now that's, that's critical in this working together with one another. You've got to know what people love. That means you've got to spend time with them. You got to know what they enjoy to do. You got to know what they what they uh, what they're passionate about. What they don't like to do. What what, what causes struggle in their heart. You got to know all these things to know where they're headed, so that you can shift them to where God has for you. If you don't know where they're headed, how are you ever going to point them to where God has for them? In verse twenty, it says something important here. It says that whoever turns a sinner from the error of his way will save his soul from death. Now, I don't know what translation you have, but it's important that it says soul there. Because in James chapter 5, in the earlier parts, it says to pray for one another for physical healing. So we have both here. We have physical healing, but in verses 19 through 20, we have a spiritual healing. It's for the soul. In some translations, it just mentions death. And we got to be careful because it's not talking about a physical healing right now. It's talking about spiritual And so we should pray for physical healing. We should pray for those who are struggling physically, but we've got to also pray. We've got to work towards the salvation of people's life for eternity, for their soul, for their spiritual life. You see, when you ask what someone's struggling with, it's most common that they answer with something they're hurting with physically. And I'm not saying you shouldn't do that. But what I'm saying is if you want to dig deep in life, If you want to figure out where someone is, you have to move past how are you doing. You have to move into what do you love? What do you do with your life? Let me walk with you through your day. Let me see what you're passionate about, what you you like to do throughout the week, what, what really gets your heart pumping, what also tempts you, what is the struggle that is within you, all those different things. We have to figure that out, and it's past just how are you feeling. How are you doing? It's got to shift into a conversation about where they are headed with their life, what they are tempted by in their life. So I want you to remember this as we walk away. We need one another to stay strong. I want to give you nine ways to pursue after God. This is not self-help time. This is not me telling you how you can make your life better. This is what God's word says to do when you're in a season of trial. It says to consider it pure joy when you face trials of many kinds because the testing of your faith develops perseverance or endurance. So how do we consider it pure joy? How do we pursue after God in the midst of a trial and temptation? I know that some of you in here today are in a trial, whether physical or spiritual. I know that you're in a season of trial. 
I know, I know with what's gone on in the past year, and, and, and I know many of where you are today in your own life, whether it be your children or your parents, whether it be your own life, whether it be you physically or you spiritually, there are difficult things happening in your life today. But God gives us a plan. Every good thing comes from God, and God gives us a plan for how to pursue him. I want to give you nine things that James mentions today. First, draw near to God. Draw near to God. Write this down. Remember it. Whatever, whatever, you, whatever works for you. But draw near to God. James chapter 4, verses 7 through 8 say, Therefore, submit to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. The first thing I want you to do in your life is you think about, how do I pursue God in the midst of this difficult trial and temptation? How do I draw near to God in the midst of this trial or temptation? Find someone around you, find somebody you know and you trust and you love and ask them this question, will you draw me nearer to the Lord? One of the things I've told my staff I wanna ask them, be able to ask them is this, draw me near. Not just make me better as a pastor, not just challenge me and see what I do wrong, but draw me near. Like go deeper than just like, hey man, you, you, you preached a good sermon or, or, or man, this was a little off or, or you, know, you led Alpha and you could have done some things better here. No, draw me near to the throne of grace. Draw me near to God. Talk to me about what's going on in my personal life that you see things going on in my life. Draw me near. So as you are in those trials and temptations, asking somebody around you, draw me near. Help me to pursue after God. We are here for one another. This is the church. This is what we do. We draw each other near to the throne of grace. Second, mourn over sin. The opposite of mourning over sin is rejoicing in your own sin and rejoicing in the sins of the world. This is what happens here is when you shift into such a, a rejection of truth that you, that you start to rejoice in what you do rather than rejecting it and rather than mourning over it. Uh, James 4 Verse 9 says, Be miserable and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. Do you mourn over the temptation and sin, the, uh, the evil that is in your life? Mourn over sin. I don't know what that looks like for you, but you can ask somebody to come into that experience, ask somebody to come into your mourning and say, Hey, uh, ask them, Hey, what does it look like for me to mourn over this, to repent over this? Have I repented from this? Have I mourned this struggle in my life? Third, humble yourself. The opposite of this is to think that you have it all together. Man, I can do this. I, I got this. I just need to be stronger. I just need to make myself better. Like so many people in life live their life that way. Like I just need to fight harder. I just need to do these things. God set up a way for us to depend on him and to depend on one another in the church. Our life is not meant for us to do it alone. Our life is meant for us to do it together with God and with God's people. With God, with God's people, we humble ourselves in front of the mighty hand of God and say, God, I need you. And so that's fourth, pray for strength. Humble yourself in front of God. Here's who I am. God, I need your strength. We must pray for strength. James 5 verse 13 says, is anyone among you suffering? He should pray. Why should we pray? Because strength is not within us, it's, with, it's in God. And God asked us, uh, God told us to pray, to ask him for this strength. And so we ask God, God, give me wisdom, give me strength, give me hope, give me joy, give me comfort, give me what I need in the midst of this season. So pray for strength. But not only should we pray for strength, but we should also praise in every single season that we're in. Most worship songs are either prayer or praise or a mixture of two. They should be, and I think, I think too. We should pray in, our, in, in, in what we uh, sing. We should ask God, God, heal me. God, restore me. God, draw me near to you. It's a prayer, but it's also a praise. God, I trust you in the midst of the season. 
Our God is a lion, but he's a lamb. He sacrificed for us, and he's the one who conquers all things. Our God is the one who is overall. So we praise, but we also ask. So if we can say, God, you are the lion, would we not want the strength of our God? So we ask for strength, and we praise God for being the strong one. Uh, uh, six is we, be patient for the Lord's coming. It says in uh, chapter 5, verse 7 and 8, Therefore, brothers and sisters, be patient until the Lord's coming. It's, it's patience because when God comes, he comes with the crown of life and he comes with vengeance. He's the one who is strong to overcome things. And in verse 8, it says, You also must be patient to strengthen your hearts because the Lord's coming is near. The strengthening of our hearts cannot come from anything other than God and God's people. God has ordained for God's people to strengthen each other. In, in Ephesians chapter 4, it says, Build one another up. It says that we should build each other up in love. It should build each other up in good deeds. We should build each other up in truth. We are here to build one another up. Are you building the people up around you? Like, is there somebody in this room or in your life that, man, you're consistently with in a way to say, man, let me just encourage you. Let me just challenge you a little bit here. Maybe I need to teach you a little bit here, rebuke you, correct you in this way, and I'm gonna train you. Is there somebody in your life that you're working with to grow in these different ways? So we're strengthening our hearts, waiting for the Lord's coming. So we pray for strength, we praise in every season, and we're patient in those seasons because the Lord is coming back. Amen. And the seventh thing is this, confess your sins to one another. Look, humility to God and humility to others leads to confession to one another. There is confession to God, and I think it's so important. I've talked about this before. It's not only confession to God, but it's confession to one another. And that confession to one another is not for salvation. Look, you cannot talk to one another for salvation. There's nobody in here that can save you. Only God can save you. But there's a reason we confess to one another, and it's for accountability. So look, confess your sins to one another, but number eight, stay accountable. So James chapter 5, verse 16, therefore confess your sins to one another. James chapter 5, verse 19, if anyone among you strays from the truth and someone turns them back. So we're turning each other back. If they stray, they confess, you turn them back. Confess your sins to one another and stay accountable, number eight. And number nine, remain in the word of truth. I know I've given you a lot of uh, a list here, nine different things. But there's going to be a time in your life, and maybe right now, there's moments in your life where you're dealing with a trial or temptation. And you're going to go, I don't know what to do. And I hope that you'll come back to James. I hope you'll look through this list and I hope you go, okay, I know I'm in this season. Am I mourning over this sin, this temptation? Have I mourned over this temptation that is in my life? Like there's been seasons in my life, like just to be real raw and honest with you, one of the temptations in my life is tobacco, weird, I don't care, whatever you think. It's just one of those things that, that tempts me and whether you think it's a sin or not, I'm not getting in that debate right now. The thing is for me, it's not healthy. It's not what I wanna do. It doesn't respect my family. So it's just not something that I do, okay? It's something I've chosen not to do. I had to go through a season of mourning that. Now, now, that was because I chose, I, I, I had a relationship with God, which God was pushing me away from that. So I had to choose. And what I did was I asked, I may have shared this before with you. I asked God to cause me to hate that. That doesn't mean I'm not still tempted by it. It's just that, that I, call, I asked God, cause me to hate that. When I smell it, I want to throw up. Just being raw with you. When I smell it, I want to throw up now. I used to, man, smell it and want to, want to uh, put a dip in or whatever it may be. But now, mourning over sin. So what you're doing is you're letting people into your life. And see, all, from the stage, I always want to model this confession. From, and, and what you're doing is you're saying, okay, here's what I struggle with. Here's how I've mourned over it. Now keep me accountable to it. 
Keep me accountable to it. Don't let me live in isolation. The opposite of, living, uh, of accountability is living in isolation, which leads to the last one, remain in the word of truth. And the reason that is so important is this, because if we cannot mourn over sins, confess our sins, stay accountable, if we can't draw near to the Lord and stay in our spiritual disciplines, if we can't be with one another to humble ourselves and confess these things to one another, we're not gonna know the truth that we're trying to stick with. So when it says strays from the truth, how do we know what truth we're straying from if we never knew the truth in our life? You've got to remain in the word of truth. You've got to read the word of God. You've got to know what God wants for you. You've got to know what God wants for your life. Maybe it looks different than your brother or sister around you, but at least you know what it looks like for you and you can tell your brother and sister around you, I need you. Keep me strong. By the wisdom that God has given your brother and sister around you, they can keep you strong. We need one another. So here's one of the difficult things about this. We, uh, a church often creates a culture of teaching rather than the fourfold view that Paul gives us. So Paul tells us to teach, to rebuke, to correct, and to train. This is kind of our model for discipleship if you go through any of our discipleship processes. Teach, to rebuke, to correct, and to train. What we do well in the church sometimes is we teach or rebuke. Okay, so some, most people will choose kind of one of these models. They teach the word of God and they feel like, man, as long as I can teach it and tell people what to do, they'll do it. Has that ever worked for you as a parent? I mean, seriously, you can't just tell your kids what to do. Here, I'll give you an example. I want you to pull out your phone, download Logos, follow the presentation and share the main points on social media right now. Go for it. Exactly. I can't just tell you what to do we have to walk through life together to do it. You need me to sit down with you and show you what to do. Pull out your phone, download Logos. What's Logos? How do you spell Logos? You spell it like Logos <laughs> or Logos. What do I do with it? Well, now sign into your account, make your account, follow this church, Westminster Baptist Church. And then every single screen that pops up on the screen is going to pop up on your phone, and then you can easily share it out. I would sit down and walk you through that. If I just tell you something, it's hard for you to do it. But if I sit down and walk with you through it, it's a, it helps a little bit. Now, here's the thing. Not only are we okay at teaching, but sometimes we're just good at rebuking and not teaching. How can you rebuke somebody that hasn't been taught? You know what I'm saying? Like, if I never told you that you shouldn't text on your phone during a worship service... Maybe you would sit out there and text, and I'd say, you can't do that in the middle of a service. You're like, what did, you never told us not to do that. And we have to tell each other, but we have to correct, uh, rebuke each other. So if you're going down a path, let's say you're, you've chosen a path in your life, and somebody say, no, 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 this is the path that God has for you. They've taught you and laid it out for you, but you keep going down that path, and all of a sudden somebody comes up to you and say, you are going the wrong way. Turn around and pursue God. That's rebuking. Sometimes we only rebuke. We don't teach. We don't show them what God has for them. We only rebuke for them and rebuke them. And that's correction. I've talked about this before. I want this to become a culture in our church. We lay the foundation. This is what it looks like to pursue God. When someone's going the wrong way, we rebuke. We say, hey, you're going the wrong way. And then you have to correct. What does it look like to do this right? And then finally, you train. Once you tell somebody what it looks like to do it right, you have to walk with them through life. 
because they aren't always going to make the right decision. They aren't always going to do the right thing, and you walk with them. I know you messed up. It's okay. Let's go together. I know you messed up. It's okay. Let's go together. I know you messed up. Let's okay. I'm going to pray for you for strength. Let's go together. This is what it looks like to teach, to rebuke, correct, and to train. My uh, grandfather taught me how to do this with golf. So uh, when I was a child, my grandpa took me out to, uh, we call him Daddy Carl, he took me out to golf and uh, he taught me how to swing a golf club and how to hit a golf ball. And then we would go out and golf together and sometimes I would make a mistake and he'd say, hey, well, you need to kind of tilt your hands in or you need to move your stance forward or you need to move your stance back or your jaw, you're drawing too far back or whatever it may be. And he would, he would kind of rebuke and then he would correct it and then he would watch to make sure I was doing it right. And only if I asked, you know, I, hey, can you help me? Because, you know, he's, he's 83 years old, and last year we played golf together, and he beat me. So, like, he's just a beast, right? So, Daddy Carl, what do I need to do different? My brother-in-law, Randy Young, what do I need to do different? Like, help me out in this. Teach, rebuke, correct, train. What do you do in your life? Seriously, pause for a moment. With those around you, in the world, in the church, your friends, workplace, do you teach them God's word? rebuke when they struggle, correct. This is the right way to go and train. I'm gonna walk with you. I don't know how long this is gonna take, but I'm gonna walk with you. And that's so difficult. That's the harder part, the correcting and the training. Recognizing when someone does something wrong is easier than showing them what to do right and walking with them through the journey. Don't stop at teaching and rebuking, push forward because if anyone turns somebody from straying from the word of truth and turns them back to God, let them know that they will be saved because of it. That's what James 5, 19 and 20 are telling us. This is the work of salvation. This is God using you to bring about salvation in people's lives. Isn't that, this is the, this is the awesome thing about this. God has ordained close community for difficult conversations. Jesus did this with with, uh, Peter when he says, get behind me, Satan, and he tells them what to do right, and then he shows them how to go to Jerusalem, right? Get behind me, Satan, for you don't know the ways of God, only the ways of man. And then he says, if you want to follow after me, take up your cross, deny yourself and follow after me. And then he shows him what it looks like to give up his life on the cross. So Peter, I'm going to tell you what to do. I'm going to rebuke you when you don't do it. I'm going to correct you. And now we're going to train you. And ultimately, Peter follows Jesus in the same way. Jesus ordained small community for these kind of conversations. Do you have three to five people, maybe one or two people, whatever it looks like? Do you have a couple people that you can trust with your blind spots and with your struggles in your life? God has ordained close community. He's ordained the power of the Spirit. He's ordained real accountability through teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training. And he's ordained discipleship as the method for it. This is the way that God has chosen for this to happen. Is it happening in your life? You see, information plus time plus isolation will equal smarter sinners. But training and relationships and the Spirit of God will equal transformation. We want transformed warriors for the gospel. We don't just want smarter sinners. I'll give you a story, uh, and, and, and then we're going to have a gospel step, and then we're going to worship King Jesus through uh, a song called Goodness of God. And 
I, I was uh, on a journey towards uh, Louisiana, M- Monroe, Louisiana, if you know where that is. Um, most of you probably don't. They talk different down there, uh, a lot different down there. And um, I went back, and you never realize how country people are until you go back to where they are, and I get my accent comes back. Anyways, headed to Monroe, Louisiana. Uh, it's a country place, a bunch of hunting. It's where Duck Dynasty's from. Give you a picture. Um, so uh, Atlanta, Georgia to Monroe, Louisiana, about an eight-and-a-half-hour drive. So long journey. Um, it's all on the same road, I-20, okay? It's all on I-20. That's all you got to do. So we head off. We're going down I-20. All of a sudden, I think about six hours in, my brother goes, Dad, it was me, my dad, and my brother. Dad, I don't think I've ever seen that pond before. Now, you have to understand my brother because my brother's a professional hunter. He's killed over 30,000 ducks. Like, this is what he does. He knows ponds. He knows where the ducks are, where the geese are. He loves to hunt. He says, Dad, I've never seen that pond before. Now, you notice something. He had to know the right way to understand when we were on the wrong way. I've never seen that pond before. My dad goes, I don't think there's palm trees in Monroe. <laughs> Literally, we look around and there's palm trees. And I'm like, I'm, you know, like, I was a young teenager. And so I looked around, I'm like, palm trees? Well, this is cool. Where are we? We're in Southern Mississippi. So what we had done is we had turned off of I-20. We were going the wrong direction for like three hours. So my dad and my brother were talking and all of a sudden we go out in the wrong direction. For three hours. Now what do you have to do? You got to cut back up for the next three hours to get back to I-20. So it was because my brother knew the right way and he knew that he wasn't going the right way that he was able to speak up to my dad to say, we're going the wrong way. Who in your life knows the pawns? They're like, man, look, look, there's something in your life that's not right. This doesn't look right. This temptation, this sin struggle, this way that you're headed, this isn't normal for you. What's going on? Talk to me. I can see we're going in the wrong direction. What's the right direction? You see, life in small community, micro community, a group of people who you trust, who you can confess sin to and keep accountable to, knows when you're facing a different pond. They know when you're on the wrong road. They know when you're struggling. If we live in isolation, no one will check us when we're going the wrong way. The church is for community small community, large community, but it's community. Who are you doing life with? It's interesting at our church, we have more people who want to be in discipleship than people who can lead disciples. That's one of the pains in my heart, but here's what I'd ask for you. I'd ask for you to pray. And I, I constantly do this because I'm aware that there are people who want to be disciples and I want to lead them. And so I know that I got to raise up leaders. So here's what I'm asking for you. Two things. First, would you consider joining a D group? And second, would you consider leading a D group? Here's why. I truly believe that God has ordained discipleship in the community of three to five people, like Peter, James, and John with Jesus, to supplement discipleship through groups. I believe that God has ordained that group of three to five in the midst of that group of 12 that Jesus chose to have that close community and to do real accountability in life. Do you have a group of people that you are able to walk through life with? And look, let me tell you this. I know some amazing counselors, psychiatrists, psychotherapists, all sorts of different awesome things. And I think they would agree with me on this if they're Christians. Here's the thing. It's wonderful that you would go outside and find that. And I hope, I hope you do. And I hope if that's something you need that you do that. But here's the thing. God has 
ordained the church to be the place where people are grown, where people are challenged, where people are taught, rebuked, correct, trained. They receive compassion and mercy and life and growth. The church is the place where we should be finding help, grace, compassion, mercy, not rejection. We shouldn't just send people out. We should take people in. We recognize there are certain things that the church is not equipped to do, but for what we are equipped to do, we should do it well. God is using you to raise up disciples. Have you submitted? It's a call to every single person when Jesus says, all authority in heaven on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. And lo, I will be with you until the end of the age. God is with you. And if he is with you, he is calling you to make disciples. Does anybody have Facebook? A couple people. I, I don't really use mine. I use it for Westminster Baptist Church pretty much solely. I don't post on it, so don't follow me because you're not going to see any posts. Um, but it has memories, and I posted on it a couple years ago, and I said, I said this, and I still believe it today, and I want to leave you with this. If the Spirit of God lives in you, then a passion for discipleship lives in you. Because where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom, and He's doing it through discipleship. So my question to you today is, are you passionate about making disciples? As the band comes... I'm going to pray for you. So if you will, just close your eyes, and I'm going to tell you this story. As you close your eyes and the band comes, I'm going to tell you this story. I was working with a teenager one time, and just think through this. So close your eyes and think through this. I was working with a teenager one time, and they said, man, I, I'm struggling with this. And I said, okay, who have you gone to? And all they had done is post on social media. And here's what happens when you post on social media. You're trusting that a device or a group of random people will say something that will change your life. Here's what I'm challenging you with today. Whether you are a person who tells and tells and tells and tells and tells and tells your story to multiple different people, hoping that just one will cling, or whether you're a person who tells nobody and thinks, man, I can just do this by myself. Let me just pick myself up by the bootstraps and I got this. Like, let me do what I need to do. No matter where you are, here's what I'm asking for, of you today. Ditch the devices and ditch the isolation and submit to what God has for you because there's community, there's sacrifice, there's love, care, grace, mercy. There's freedom in the church of God. We are the church and God has ordained for this to be the place where people find healing and forgiveness. God has ordained for this to be the place where we confess our sins to one another and we grow together. Will you today, will you today say, God, I, I give up trying. I give up trying to do this myself. What do you want from me? We're going to have, keep your eyes, as you keep your eyes closed, I'm going to have the deacons who are in the room. And if there's a pastors in the room and our prayer team, just stand around the edges. If you just see somebody that you know or trust, or maybe you don't know anybody, if you just go to somebody boldly and just, if you, it's in this time, if you just need to confess a sin, if you just need to ask for prayer, we're going to lead worship, and this is going to be your time to go and to ask for prayer and seek prayer from any deacon. So right now in this moment, deacons, pastors, if you would get up, prayer team, if you're in here, would you get up and just be available? 
if there's anybody in this room who's thought, man, I could just tell a hundred different people, or I could just tell this device and found salvation, or if I, I can just do this alone, and you've never sought that group, that small group, just say, here's who I am, I need help. Inside the church, I'm asking that you will respond by taking a bold movement and getting up out of your seat and saying, God, here is who I am. I'm not ashamed anymore. There's no shame in the kingdom of God. It's only freedom. So God, I pray in this moment, God, that you would release, you would set captives free. I pray, God, that you would boldly raise up warriors fighting for the sake of the gospel, fighting for one another, linking arms to fight battles together. God, would you raise up people in this room right now? Father, would you change hearts? Would you transform? You are the only one who can save you. So I'm asking right now, if there's somebody in this room who has never believed in you, I'm praying, God, that you would change their heart. I can't, these words can't, you can. So God, would you save them? So Father, by the power of your Son who overcame the grave, died on the cross, raised from the dead, and through his power can bring life. I pray, God, that you would restore this church. Would you transform this church? Would you raise up warriors for this church to make disciples in this community who bring glory to you? Father, we love you. We give it all to you. We pray this in the name of the powerful Son of God, the powerful Spirit of God, and the Father who are, is our God. We love you in your Son's name. Amen.
We have a full, look, if you're scared, we have a full leadership plan to, to help you to make disciples. It is ready for you. And we want to lead you to do that, to fulfill what God has called you. I hope you will join us. I hope you will lead uh, others to become disciples of Jesus Christ. Remember that you are sent into the midst of darkness to light it up. I hope you have a great week. You have any questions about the sermon or would like to know more about following after Jesus, uh, please contact us and we would love to talk more about your relationship with Christ and how you can grow in your spiritual journey.